0: When we lived in Illinois, the flights would get inexpensive to come back home to California every January during Martin Luther King week. And so I took Riley to celebrate his birthday, which always happens a few weeks earlier. And we went to Disneyland. We were at the end of our day and walking through the shops on Main Street. And Riley was enamored with the snow globes in the gift shop. He could not keep his little five-year-old hands off of them, even though I kept trying to be the one to hold it for him as he took a closer look. And he'd hold them so gentle, totally mesmerized, but then he'd try to get them back on the shelf and it happened. A top decoration caught an edge and a beautiful castle broke. Like all five-year-olds, he was completely stunned. How had this happened? He never saw it coming. So we went to the cashier to pay for our broken snow globe, all the while coaching Riley on what to say when it was his turn. And so he got there and went up and said, I'm sorry, I broke this. I was trying to be careful, but we need to pay for it. Today, we're considering a question that comes Paul's way as the Roman church continues to discover what the risen Jesus means for their lives, their personal lives, their life as a group. Paul has been pointing to the grace of the Messiah, Jesus. And it seems that at least hypothetically, people wonder what that means when it comes to sin. Can someone just do what they please? Or as Paul puts it, shall we continue in the state of sin? so that grace may increase? He writes, just as sin reigns in death, even so through God's faithful covenant justice, grace might reign in the life of the age to come. This reigning word calls to mind a place of dominion, a space. Through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, what are we to say then? Shall we continue in the state of sin so that grace may increase? Now, here is where it matters that we have kept track with what Paul wants to say about capital S sin, that it is not most of all a misbehavior list, but a force at work in the world, causing the world to work in ways that are God's opposite. So we can start with God, the characteristics of God, the work God does in the world, the work God invites God's people to do in the world. And that list can help us. The list that includes life, freedom, joy, beauty, connection belovedness, rest, enoughness, generosity, gentleness. If this is the state of grace, its opposite is the state of sin. It's commercial would sound like, here in sin, when it comes to stuff, it's crucial you guard it. Some may call it hoarding, but like you can't just risk sharing it. What's that? (laughs) Give stuff away? (laughs) Why would anyone do that? And now let's talk about time. You've heard we all get the same 24 hours in a day, but did you know that here in Sin, you can stretch those hours by just always working? Yeah, over in uh, that other place, people rest. But that's for losers and lazy people. I've even heard they'll spend some of their free time for the sake of others. Chumps. Then you've got power. Power is our favorite. We love what that hero of those wizard books said before his tragic demise. There's not good and evil there's only power in those too weak to seek it. Voldemort was right there. See, power is what can keep you safe. The power to choose so you can always choose to live away from danger. Send your kids to spaces away from danger. Eat organic so there's never danger from your food. That is why you want to stay here, of course, because over there, that state of grace, oh, it's so risky. They say, get this. They say you can trust Jesus. Jesus, the guy who was so bad at power, he got himself killed. I mean, sure, we've heard the rumors that God raised him to life again, giving him power over even death, but you can't tell me that's better than doing all you can all the time to take care of yourself now. Friendship, work, raising children, running errands, caring for aging parents, voting. There's no peace of life untouched by the way of sin. Its culture influences everything. It has a way of doing darn near anything in the same way that we have a way of doing things. Take, for example, checking out at the grocery store. There's a way we do that. But last week, for the first time, I shopped at an Amazon Fresh. Have you done this? I scanned a QR code on my phone and a gate opened to let me in. I put all my stuff straight into a shopping bag And then I came to the exit gates, scanned on my phone again. They opened and I was done. I walked out of the store with my stuff. The state of sin and the state of grace are as different as the experiences of checking out of Vons or Kroger or Jewel versus Amazon Fresh. Just plain different. And to Paul, you live in one or the other. Romans 6, starting in verse 1, he writes, Shall we continue in the state of sin so that grace may increase? Certainly not. We died to sin. How can we live in it? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into the Messiah Jesus were baptized into his death? That means we were buried with him through baptism into death so that just as the Messiah was raised from the dead to through the Father's glory, we too might behave with a new quality of life. Jesus' resurrection makes it possible to live in the state of grace. You can move, make a new home. That's what happens when a person is baptized, in Paul's mind. This is a bit mysterious and nuanced for any of us who come from the perspective of baptism as purely a symbol of our choice to trust Jesus as Lord. Yes, it is that symbol, but to Paul, it's a symbol with some power. It's a ritual with some richness. You don't unbaptize. It's a one-way ticket from the state of sin to the state of grace. You live here now. Now, Paul tends to make his cases over several chapters, which is where reading Romans with isolated verses can be pretty unhelpful. So the question he begins with in chapter 6-1, he actually brings to a conclusion in chapter 8-1 when he says, So therefore, there is no condemnation for those in the Messiah Jesus. Why not? Because the law of the Spirit The one who gives life in the Messiah, Jesus, released you from the law of sin and death. When Riley presented his snow globe to the cashier, he deserved to have to pay for it. And by he, I mean me. But the natural outworking of knowing you broke something that costs $50. Why couldn't you break a $15 snow globe? But you pay for what has been broken. The cast member at the register took a long look at the castle on the pedestal, missing its swirling Mickey Mouse glitter now that the top had been shattered off the dome. She looked steadily at Riley and said, Well, thank you so much for bringing this to me and telling me what happened, and it's going to be okay. You don't need to buy this one. I really appreciate you coming and telling me, though. And she reached under the counter and brought out a button, light blue with a golden H, for honorary citizen of disneyland the relief that flooded well both of us was visible on riley's face as she just encouraged him for his honesty about what happened telling him that is just how someone who lives here would handle that kind of problem the wages paid by sin you see are death but god's free gift is the life of the age to come in the messiah jesus our lord paul writes Life in the age to come is an age that started the moment the tomb was empty. It goes on forever, but it starts the moment you become a resident in the state of grace. Residency in the state of grace is offered to everyone and granted to all who are in the Messiah, Jesus. Now, the phrase in the Messiah matters to Paul because part of what he wants to show us is that Jesus is the continuation and fulfillment of Israel's whole story, It's all one story, freedom from Egypt, freedom from the law, which was very helpful to point out sin, but very unhelpful in dealing with sin because Israel keeps failing. So Jesus, Israel's representative and Messiah, gives freedom and life through his own death and resurrection. Jesus, Israel's Messiah, is the one who keeps God's promises to humanity and fulfills humanity's purpose to deal with sin all at once. And then I found myself thinking about Jesus's own freedom, how he used his freedom to stand with the woman brought to him accused, used his freedom to eat with tax collectors and sinners, used his freedom to touch the unclean, to tend to children. Jesus lived like there was actually no condemnation. Here's the thing. There are times we want to visit the state of grace as a tourist instead of living there as a resident. Oh, I'm just checking it out here. Cool. Great. Welcome. Where are you from? Sin. You heard of it? So here's the question. Are you a tourist or a resident? A resident makes their life there. They build a home world there. They make their life align with the place. When I was a high school senior, my family got to take a trip to Italy. And we ate at 7 o'clock and the restaurant was empty because we were tourists. In our community, Mario, who's doing grad school in Italy, certainly knows better than to eat at seven. He eats later because he's living like a resident. Some of us are living like tourists to grace when what we need is to live like residents. Now, what I don't mean is that we aren't really Christians. That isn't Paul's main question, though Romans has often been read like that's the case. What I mean is that if we are living like tourists to the state of grace, we might need the very same encouragement Paul offered the Roman church so long ago. First encouragement about their identity. You, baptized one, are a resident with all the protections and privileges that affords. As such, you live with no condemnation. What is true of Jesus becomes true of you, which means life, grace, and freedom are yours. You get every benefit, a free gift of God through Christ. And then he encourages them, based on that identity, to be who you are. Sometimes baptized persons regularly coming to the communion table, still, as N.T. Wright puts it, give the lie to these symbols by the way they are living. Paul wants to encourage alignment, integration, truthfulness, where the symbols that mark our life and the rest of the way our life is lived match up. Be who you are. You are in Christ, a resonant not a tourist. What Paul is speaking to is that question, hypothetically, Paul, what if someone wants to live in sin but pop over to Grace for the freedom, the way we visit a place for the food or the scenery? Paul's message is that the quality of life in Christ is just too great to live there like a tourist. You need to toss your passport, enter the waters of baptism, and claim your residency. Originally, a Jewish person would have thought they either lived under the law or as a sinner. Paul has this play on words when he says you're no longer under the law, but instead under grace. Like there is a whole new reality of even more life, freedom, and joy than they had had before because of Christ Jesus. His third encouragement was to know you have security. Not only is there encouragement about identity, encouragement about alignment, but there's encouragement about security. Some of us need this encouragement because it feels like sin keeps hold of us. It's like someone who's moved, but can't escape the grip of a terrible landlord. While they lived in the first place, this landlord exploited them, banging on their door, harassing them. And they relocate to a new place, and yet the landlord finds them, bangs on the door again, demands more of them. And they need to remember, he has no authority here. It can feel this way about sin, that it keeps coming for us. Slave patrol trying to force us back. And to this, Paul says, no condemnation. Sin is a power as a force to be reckoned with. It may still be at large in the world, but it has no authority over you. You're released from the power of sin and death. Again, what is true of Jesus becomes true of you. If sin and death cannot defeat Jesus, cannot claim Jesus, cannot hold Jesus, they cannot defeat you. You are a resident. Be who you are and know it can never be taken from you. Life is yours. Freedom is yours. Grace is yours. Always.